When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we are here with a guest co-host. It is Emily Tish sussman She is a political strategist and podcast host who you'll hear on lots of shows and you'll see on your TV talking shop. Most recently, she created the podcast She Pivots with Marie Claire, which features conversations with a diverse group of women who have perfected the art of the pivot and successfully reinvented their professional selves. Welcome so much, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. Love you guys. Big fan. Thank you. Well, we were chatting before. We got to know each other just casually, just just casually got to know each other at the White House the other month. Yeah, casual, casual meeting. It's where I like to make all my friends. So that worked out. You actually were witness to when I just walked through the door. Did you see that? Um, I don't know if I saw that in specific, but I did really appreciate that it was my first time actually covering a huge event as press. Like usually I've been on the organizing side of it. So I didn't know that I was supposed to rush to cover it and ended up actually behind, like not just behind the press, but like behind the entire riser. Like I physically couldn't, so all I could see was like the back of a basketball game medal. And you guys were right there with me. So I really appreciated that. Oh yeah. I was like roasting. I was like, I think I'm going to faint. And you were just like, it's fine. We all are. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, aren't we excited to be here? It made me feel very affirmed. I mean, Sammy, Sammy shoot her shot though. And she fucking climbed over lots of gear and got on that riser and got us some great content. (laughs) I was not doing that. I might even have like a little short video of Sammy coming out from the riser because it was like parting of the sea. Like it was unbelievable the way she came out. I respected it so much. Yeah, we were fast friends. Yeah, I mean, oh, I mean, we were definitely like a little crew that day, and I do love that we can now trace our friendship to the White House. It is an interesting, an interesting start. But that was, you know, I was kind of surprised at the size of the press pen. To be honest, they really could have given a little bit more space and maybe not had me crawling underneath NBC's very expensive camera equipment. There was also a point in which I was like, oh, this was actually pretty funny. So. You know, do you remember there was like a girl who was like telling me like not to be in the live yes, shot? Yes. Okay. Yes. I met that girl the next day at the Capitol because she was – so she was in Ali Batali's like office. Like she works with Ali Batali who was showing me around the Capitol and I – Oh, she worked I, for NBC? Yeah. So – Oh, wow. So she was really doing her job like keeping oh, yeah. people out of the way of the, just the single live shot. Wow. 
respect. But she used to just start it. I think she was like just starting because when she, she was, I was introduced to her the next day in a totally different context. I was yeah. like, you look so familiar. And I was pretty sure it was her, yeah, but I didn't want to be like, you're the girl who yelled at me yesterday. So, <laughs> so, but it did, we did later realize that, um, you know, she made the connection and, you know, Allie let me know that actually she knew me as the girl who was climbing everywhere at the White House. I think we all knew you that way. I have to say maybe my favorite part of covering the White House was, I don't know, I think this may have been when you were mid-climb, so you might have missed this, but we were standing, we ended up like smashed into the pen right next to the NPR people. And so our press contacts in the White House was going over and, you know, like saying hi to everyone. And the, the producer from NPR said to her, you know, it's so good that you invited all these outlets, you know, for them to like feel included. Oh. We're like, I can't, if I had scripted something an NPR producer to have said at the White House at a bill signing, I couldn't yeah. have come up with that. It was, was too it good. the guy that was sitting down on his own little, on his own little chair? No, <laughs> it, it seems was like he had been through it. Yeah. I had, I had, yeah, he had been, it was not his first event of the day, but I was like, that was, I've now fulfilled every stereotype I was looking for today. I feel amazing. Yeah. About this. If he could see how much the White House is blowing up all of our inboxes, then he would know it was actually a, a thing for us to get there. But, uh, but anyway. <laughs> I think we are we are wily journalists. You know, this is how you get your scoop. You you gotta be gotta be aggressive. So, yeah, the press wasn't in there in actual meetings with Joe Biden. I believe that TikTok influencers were the ones that are actually like giving people information and doing it creatively. So now I'm mad at NPR. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like screw you, Ira Glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, TikTok really like could have way more influence than NPR at this point. If you, you know, if I mean, they the invite right them. Trend. Like, I'm legally hype, and like, we're actually talking to Under the Desk News tomorrow. V is going to oh, come cool. on, and they are awesome, and they have such a huge reach. Like, when awesome. I love V so much. I've had them on like a bunch of panels and things. Love yeah, I'm excited. Love that. They have a new podcast too that I I wanted to. I actually have to get them questions, but I still want to listen to a few more of other podcasts because it's so good. But love them. So, like I said, you you she pivots is about women reinventing themselves or pivoting, obviously, at a certain at a certain stage in life. Who are some people from the political world that you've talked to? We actually specifically in the first season didn't do political gotcha. because that because that was my pivot. Yeah. So this is pretty like pretty good context what we're talking about. But I yeah. spent my whole career as a political strategist and then I had three kids in three years in the middle of a global pandemic. And it was like, I cannot do this job. But I didn't know how to see success for myself in any other way other than in political strategy. So I really had to rethink yeah. it. And I was looking to women because I am only really interested in stories of women. And I was in, I was, so I was looking to women who had taken what had been thrown at them and turned it into something even better. Like they couldn't have done it without that thing. So I felt like because my story was out of political strategy and was because I had so many kids in such a condensed time period that I actually really didn't want those stories for the first season when we were kind of building the brand of the show. I felt like it could get really competitive. A hundred percent. I mean, wait. Or just, you can al- yeah, yeah, yeah. Repetitive. <laughs> I'm like, what words? I've also forgotten words. Um, so this season, we actually do have some politicals. Um, Governor Hochul of New York, who's super interesting. That show's actually already live on your political playlist, cool. my other p- more, more political show, um, because she became the governor after Governor Cuomo resigned because of sexual harassment um, 
allegations. But actually, even before that, she became a member of Congress because the the district she was in, this is actually like pre-Trump, so it was really scandalous at the time, but now it doesn't feel yeah. that scandalous. The member of Congress was posting shirtless pictures of himself on Craigslist. What? Like trying to, I know it was Chris Lee. It was like a big deal at the time, like trying to pick up women. And let me tell you, I would have been fine with those pictures if I got them, but he was like solicit. He was married. He, yeah. he was like soliciting women on Craigslist. Um, so that's super interesting. Like she changed yeah. her career twice because of the actions of other people. And also this season we have coming up vice president Harris. Exciting. Wow. wow. Oh my gosh. Big political. Yeah. Super psyched for that. Are you going to be talking anything about the pivot that Carrie Lake made from a, an anti-Trumper to hardcore MAGA <laughs> election denier? Um, I feel that was really a through line for the GOP. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You could have the, you could do an episode on like the whole party and their pivot. Very. That's very true. That's I mean, yes, but also so many of the things that they're saying now, like under the like the MAGA headline, like they've actually been saying for a long time. Like oh, they've totally. been pushing. Like they've been pushing election fraud conspiracies for years. Now they just don't whisper it. They don't use like code words like those districts or those people. Now it's just openly, if I don't win, there was fraud, like in the Arizona race. It used to be like voter IDs and like a few random dead people voting. Now it's like this whole election is being rigged by Venezuela and um, we are just – Or it's just like I don't feel like – I don't feel like – this is right because I lost. So I mean, they they've pivoted from like slightly corrupt politicking, as really all politicians do, to straight out cheating, cult status. Yes, season three, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> three pivots and just finding nothing too abhorrent. I actually think that's a really interesting impact of like the rise of Trump as a candidate and now like the MAGA brand of the Republican Party is that. You don't have to live by the consequences of what you have said. And like, if you put it out into the universe, you don't yes. have to justify it. Like you just did it and it's everyone crazy. else will respond to it. It's kind of wild. It is wild. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't, are we, I don't know if we're going to get into fully like the Herschel Walker of it all in this episode. Okay. Amanda says we're not, but it's important to maybe bring it up here. But I the will. Man, people say that this man outperformed expectations in the debate the other night. While his performance involved pulling out a fake badge to prove that he was in law enforcement. Like, that is what they now are calling outperforming expectations, which is just so. I, I, there's no, there's no, the English language does not have words anymore. Well, it's like, I love it. I love the term outperforming expectations because you can just set that bar anywhere. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Using like a bringing the fucking Fisher Price toy as your as your proof of your resume. It seemed like they were trying to like level the, the field in that debate by also forcing Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock, to talk about like his personal life, which is not really relevant and not nearly as like serious. Like he's going through a divorce, and there's been stories out of that divorce that sound like 
it's not the 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 most the most like it's a little acrimonious, but like I feel like they would not have asked him those questions had Herschel Walker already like pulled the window of like like put the personal into the conversation as much. Maybe they would have. I mean, normally it comes up. It is relevant, but it did feel like they were sort of like throwing some things at Senator Warnock that you're not going to see come up in any other debate because Herschel Walker is not in any of those debates. It's honestly a little scary that their names are so I know. close for ballot reasons, which just deeply risky but i mean i guess maybe evenly risky who knows how who knows how they'll well there are a lot of races that. where it's like two white women that look very similar two mm-hmm. black men like it, it is it, it like luckily with this one i was i had that concern too but as i was watching the, the debate i was like watching it while cooking and i had no problem figuring out who was talking like it was very very clear at all times who was talking but yeah sammy i saw like i saw some people luckily i didn't see what you sometimes see with underperforming candidates which is like wow they did great but i just saw some being like that could have been a lot worse and he literally pulled out like paw patrol yeah exactly <laughs> i mean also to your point about the divorce that is ridiculous to be asking about just like the run of the mill divorce who cares if it's acrimonious divorces tend to be given um that you're getting a divorce but like that has nothing to do with the public policy of him as a senator Whereas this paying for an abortion, not being treated for disassociative identity disorder, <laughs> right, like it, all of that is there's polit there's political questions that has to do with his policy. Like it is not the same as a standard, you know, divorce. Well, the I mean the the way to treat that, having worked through Washington again, like not to like mention Trump as many times as I can, because I actually hate doing it. But like having worked through Washington and news, and I'm sure you guys saw this too, like through the rise of his presidency, like through his entire presidency, and it's leaking over into now, is that news actually can't figure out how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Like there's this like evening of the playing field, mm-hmm. because as journalists, they're prepared to come into a situation to be like, this side said this, but then this side said this. And these are the two points. And like, they don't know so it's the only way they know how. Because I yeah. think they felt like during the Trump campaign, like 2016, they overly were like, Trump said this and that was lies. And the public didn't care. So I think there was a bit of a soul searching going on among news. And now they can't figure out what the equilibrium is. Like how, so they can't figure out like in the Georgia Senate race, like you're like, oh, well he, you know, paid for his mistress's abortion and his children say that he's a deadbeat dad. Like, when all he does is campaign on, like, dads and family values versus it's a pretty good guy. Well, I think it's also not only has the news not really figured it out, but I also think candidates this cycle are not sure how their actions will be interpreted by the news. And I feel like this is a great place to start talking about the Arizona governor's race. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. 
Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. We've got a lot of dangerous women to watch this this fall. A lot of ambitious ladies trying to <laughs> kill our democracy. One of them is Carrie Lake. So the former newscaster, I didn't know about this woman until this cycle, but Arizonans definitely did because she's a Phoenix area newscaster who's running against Katie Hobbs, who is the current Secretary of State. I tr- I'm going to try really hard on our podcast to make sure that I'm not just saying the ba- our opponents' names because they're so bad. It's so tempting to just go in on them. But Katie Hobbs is Carrie Lake's opponent. Katie Hobbs is the Democrat. So this is one of a few big governorships with two female candidates. As we've said about most races in purple states, this race is extremely close. However, it's been – I've seen some polls that still show them neck and neck. It just feels like the mood around Katie Hobbs has kind of darkened in the past week. And I'm not sure why or if that's fair. Which one? Katie Hobbs, the, the Democratic candidate. You think the mood's darkened around the Democratic candidate? I feel like, yeah, I think a lot of the pundits are mad at her and saying that she hasn't, like, done this race very well. Carrie Sway is definitely hard to run against because people recognize her. That's pretty hard. In her last few years working in the media, she shared false and unverified information on social media, and she got a reputation as, like, a provocateur just asking questions. More interesting stuff about her background is that she's switched her party registration back and forth over the years. She's, like, she's one of those, so she's not really anything, you know, from Republican to Independent to Democrat then back to Republican. She said that her prior rift with the Republican Party was because of the war in Iraq. Cool. Fine. She voted for John Kerry and Barack Obama. And now she's won the Republican nomination for governor of Arizona with Donald Trump's endorsement. So very, like, very unusual candidate. One could be forgiven for thinking, given that background, maybe she'd be a moderate. Maybe she's in the center of those things. But no, she's just one of those that goes back and forth wildly. She spread COVID misinformation. She's accused Joe Biden of harboring a demonic agenda. She calls abortion the ultimate sin. She published a whole ad about her saying that men and women shouldn't be equal. It'd be bad for women if we were equal. She says that as Arizona governor, she would refuse to recognize federal gun laws. So it obviously should not be surprising that she is a leading proponent of the false claim that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. So she continued to demand recounts in Maricona County, even after multiple audits found that Joe Biden has won. So she is one of those candidates who basically repeated all of the craziest claims from their place of power. I mean, I, she was still on the news at this time or had, if she wasn't saying that on online, she had a following and she sort of built a brand that way. And she said that she would not, if she were governor, have certified Biden's 2020 election victory, which is pretty scary because Arizona is going to be a purple state again. It was close. It will remain close. So if she's in a position to make that determination, it doesn't look like she's going to accept the result of that election. She has said she won't accept the result on her election. So before we chat about Katie Hobbs, <laughs> impressions of, of Carrie Lake, um, pretty scary. Pretty scary that she's made it this far. She in the Republican primary, like it was a crazy pool of of potential nominees, and she went hard. Like she went hard for that Trump endorsement and went all the way in. Um, I th- before this, before this, I'd say the last two cycles, 
on the whole, Republican women had generally been doing better getting elected into office than Democratic women, which I found to be a really interesting trend. And I had this whole proposal to do a whole study on why I thought that was true. And then, you know, the children and the COVID. And so it didn't end up happening. But so this Arizona race has ended up being a really interesting side-by-side comparison. Like she's going all in to say men and women, men and women aren't equal. And yet you should give me all of the power. Like that's kind of interesting, actually, from a not from a governing just perspective. Idolist, ideological consistency. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Like it is actually kind of interesting. Like the thing that has traditionally harmed women as candidates is the fact that when we judge people, we're always looking to balance um, strength and softness, like a strength and vulnerability. And so men are, are presumed to have, this is very like in the, in the meta, right? Like deep into your brain. Um, that and I'm speaking these huge generalizations, but that men are presumed to have the strength. And so when they show any bit of softness and vulnerability, then they're like, oh, you're so approachable. He's so great. Women do not have that advantage. And so they have to present both. And Democratic women have traditionally been thought to have been like over-indexing in vulnerability. And so women, when we're, they were running for office, felt like they had to prove their, their bona fides in strength. And I think that ended up throwing a lot of women off when they were running for for higher office. Um, On the Republican side, interestingly, I think they uh, also come in so hard on strength that this is my my guess. This is what I want to do. This is what I wanted to study. Um, And I think we're seeing that in this race too, that she's like coming in so hard on strength that anything she does, it looks like she presents it potentially as vulnerability. And I think it doesn't turn people off the same way as if it was coming from a man, to be totally honest with you. I think that the reason that Katie Hobbs, the Democratic nominee, has been getting some knocks in the last couple of weeks is because she won't debate her. Um, yeah, and that's her, definitely and, the primary reason. The, and this is a big, this is like in this day and age, this is a big question. I don't know what the answer for this is. But she doesn't want to give like a bigger platform to these crazy theories. She's like, she's going to say it anyway. I'll mm-hmm. like, I'll say what I'm going to do for Arizonans. Let her say her crazy shit. I, I don't need to get into it with, I don't want to need to create like clickbait for it. And I don't know what the right answer is. Um, but Arizona is definitely a state that among political strategists, people are thinking not just from like a purple middle swing, but actually a lean left state because of the migrant population in particular. Um, and we really, I think that's why Katie Hobbs has stayed competitive, whereas the current governor, Doug Ducey, won by 14 points as a Republican. Mm. But it'll be, in, we really don't know. Like the fact that yeah. the fact that she can do this well, that they can do this well on these crazy, crazy theories makes me think like maybe they're not all the way there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think she's such a, she's such an interesting candidate for a few reasons. And I try, I'm trying to look at this not as like a, person who's engaged in this. I'm trying to look at this as like a casual, semi, pretty disengaged voter, which I think most people are. And I think about Carrie Lake and she has so much name recognition nationally, partly just like regardless of what you know about the specifics of it, she is very, like I I do not have Katie Hobbs' name like in my brain as strongly as I have Carrie Lake's name, even I, and that's, I think, part of the issue is that they get their names out there just so frequently, even if it's like because they're absolutely, mm-hmm. completely nuts. And Emily, your point about 
Republican women outperforming Democratic women is such an interesting one because we talk about that here all the time, how we think that the first female president will be a Republican. I think there's, I think there's like, look, there's a few things. One, she's a very attractive person. Um, I think that that goes a really long way in politics. That's been borne out in studies that like attractive candidates tend to win. Christy Gnome's the dumbest person in the country, but she's pretty. So like, and they purposely choose, they purposely choose women with this certain look that it's like, okay, like we'll let, we'll, you can fit our patriarchal ideal enough that like we'll put, we'll vote for you. But Carrie Lake is deeply dangerous, I think, not just because she comes in like a pretty package, but because you can see from her codalac, her record, she has a zero ideology. And like to me, there is no one more dangerous than someone who does not have a single pull towards mm-hmm. even like a pull towards a North Star in any direction. Because that person will just commit any act. They will be able to reason anything. Because they never had like their compass was never pulling in any direction to begin with. So it's just she is a very, very dangerous person. Vote Katie Hobbs. And like Emily said, she's been rewarded for this. So of course she's going to to double down on this to to talk about the debate a little bit more that Emily mentioned. So let's listen to both of these candidates were on CNN State of the Union yesterday discussing this separately. Let's listen to Katie Hobbs defend that decision not to debate on State of the Union yesterday. You declined to participate in a PBS debate against Carrie Lake. Here's what one columnist from the Arizona Republican wrote. Uh, Lori Roberts from the Arizona Republic, this is what she wrote. She wrote, if Katie Hobbs loses, remember October 12th, the day she ran away from confronting Carrie Lake. Democrats in Arizona are known for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, but Hobbs' refusal to debate her opponent on Wednesday represents a new level of political malpractice. Why won't you debate her? Look, Carrie Lake has made it clear time and time again that she's not interested in having substantive, in-depth conversations about the issues that matter to Arizonans. She only wants a scenario where she can control the dialogue, and she's refused to sit down in a one-on-one lengthy conversation to really clarify with Arizonans where she is on the issues. She's the one who's afraid of, of talking to voters where she's at. So that's how Katie Hobbs describes why she doesn't want to have this debate. We should clarify that, you know, it's not just that Katie Hobbs says absolutely under no circumstance, I won't debate her. Uh, That might be the case, but in most of these, usually there's back and forth between the campaigns and they just can't agree on something. Um, But I'm with you, Emily. I don't really know what to make of this. I mean, I agree that, you know, letting Lake have a platform to share her lies. Does that cancel out any positive effects of letting Arizonas get to watch them hash it out? I feel like in this race, because of the name recognition things that Sammy were talking about, there's also like a gendered thing to it where it's like sometimes I think that female candidates just need one one sassy clapback viral moment. And I literally hate that phrase I just said to turn their to have their campaign completely turn a new corner to become a national celebrity. And I think Katie Hobbs could pull that off. So I'm sort of like, as somebody on her side, I'm a little bit like, what is she scared of? I think it's a huge mistake for her not to debate. And like, as, as, you, as I, as Emily, you're saying, like, you're not sure what to make of it. I'm also sort of like chewing that over, but I'm thinking as a non-engaged person, to me, it just seems like her statement of what she said, like, though true, it doesn't ring true. It rings like an excuse. And it just, when you have two, two women up against each other 
and you have all of those sort of like gender strings that come attached, it just makes her look a little bit cowardly. And like, I just, I don't think that that is the way you beat someone who has really, really strong name recognition and is totally craven. Do you like, think that, um, let's compare this to like Oz and Fetterman because Dr. Oz, I would have maybe thought, I mean, we did know Fetterman a little bit more than Hobbs. Um, they both played minor roles in the 2020, that kind of crazy week. But it feels like John Fetterman has been able to bring his name recognition, if not all the way up to Dr. Oz. People around the country know who he is and they know to say him in the same breath. So do you think there is, do you think Katie Hobbs faces limits to doing that in the same sort of confrontational, edgy, irreverent way, being a woman that maybe John Fetterman wouldn't? Or do you think, no, why Why can't the campaign just like go hard, like making fun of Carrie Lake all the time? Well, I feel like it's, it is gendered and it's like a, a yeah. couple steps backward gendered. So like she can't do like, wacky, crazy things and she still can't. be considered eligible to be governor. She just can't. Right. Whereas Fetterman like started as in the mold as kind of a wacky, crazy guy. So she like, certainly couldn't have a stroke. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that definitely can't do that. We'll but, talk about that another day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that ought to be for another podcast. Um, no, but you know, he really, he entered the race as like a break the mold kind of guy. I don't know that a woman could be looking for a higher office at this point in a break the mold. I don't know that it's, I don't think. Not as a Democrat. Not as a Democrat. I actually don't know that you could as a Republican either because okay. they want them to look like um, yeah. like pageant oh, queens. So I'm not sure. But here's where I'm – okay, I want to come back to the debate point because, by the way, you guys Please. totally have me convinced that she should have been debating. Great <laughs> arguments all around. Um, here's the one thing I will say. How many people actually watch debates at this point versus – the conversations that we're having around the debate right now. Like, I don't know the two Arizona gubernatorial candidates would have been invited onto CNN state of the union if they had just gone ahead and debated. Mm-hmm. Probably and it true. Gave yeah. them a, so this is like the super cynical part of me, but it did give them another opportunity, yeah. like another hook to get into the national conversation. I think part of the reason Katie Hobbs can't run what Fetterman's running is not like, yes, it's gendered, true. But I think it's because what Fetterman's doing is like deeply authentic to him. So he can pull it off because there's not this like weird dissonance where he's like half in, half out. It's like he he almost has that Trumpiness of like he's just who he A is. And I think that that's, vibe, yeah. that is very appealing. I think to – I think that that is just sort of a universally sort of like intriguing – quality in a person when they just are sort of themselves fully. Yeah. But we're going to come back to the same thing every time, which is that nobody trusts women are authentic, even though even when we're saying we are. They're like, that's it's harder for women to be she authentic. She couldn't possibly like that that much. And it's like, God forbid, Katie, Hope, Katie Hobbs is just an extremely competent person who is the perfect person to do this job. I think like as you were talking, Emily, you're right. It's like, I don't necessarily think that Maybe Katie Hobbs doesn't need a debate to generate a big moment for herself, but I, I feel like they need to find a way somehow yeah, like whether it's it's being more creative and something that they do and it just seems like a debate is like like you were like we've all been saying Carrie Lake is so ridiculous you could just shut her down so so easily but maybe maybe there is they might have a reason to believe that like also we're not Arizonans they have interesting voting patterns like uh you know Mark Kelly looks safe but like you said Doug Juicy like this wasn't even it's surprising that this is even that Carrie Lake is even fending off a challenge here. So I, I, I always sometimes I'm like, oh, this is such a winnable seat for Democrats. I'm like, don't be so hard on Katie Hobbs. Like this was still a big, a, a lot of really challenging factors here that I do not envy having to navigate in terms of this debate. But I wonder if it could still happen. 
It could. But just just one more thing to your point about the authenticity, about how, like, it, it is gendered. I think that is sort of gendered in that, like, a woman who is, you know, decades old has already faced so many challenges to her authenticity just through living that when they get on the national stage – it's probably very difficult. You probably, to some extent, lost touch with yourself a little bit. And then to come across as authentic as someone like John Fetterman has, who's like a seven-foot-tall man, you know, it's probably difficult. Right. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of choices. Like, when you physically look at him, he's a giant and gigantic. So, like, he will just be who he's going to be. It's funny about the authentic piece because in that race, I actually think it's Oz that is trying to look like something that he's not and looks ridiculous. Like, he's trying to look like a man of the people. Mm-hmm. But also, not everyone – the public's version of what is authentic I actually find incredibly frustrating. Like, you don't – nobody walks around in their everyday lives just, like, saying everything they're feeling all the time. You just don't operate that way. Like, it's not how you move through life. And what you choose to put out to anybody who's judging you is, like, what you're comfortable with, what the context is. And I find the debate around what is authentic really, really frustrating, especially when it's paired with then, it is often paired, with the criticism to say, oh, well, they're, they're super arrogant. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, if you're running for office, that means that you think that you are the solution to problems. So, like, yeah, you have a pretty good opinion of yourself. Right. right. Well, it's also like, I'm sure Trump is authentically saying that all American Jews are terrible. He's being pretty authentic with that. But Very it's un- not something that needs to be said or is a good reason <laughs> to vote for him. Like, Carrie Lake is pretty authentic. Um, that's that no. She's authentically terrible. She's being no. candidly authentic. She's it's very candid. Like, yeah. She's not authentic. Well, you're right. Because she keeps, yeah, she keeps going back and forth. She just wants the position of power and whatever she thinks gets it to her. She, so this is really, I mean, a race that you should talk to your friends about because it is kind of that one that, you know, presidential election 2024, when we're, you know, looking at if somebody's going to steal it, if she's in the position to, she she will. I want to talk about one more midterms related topic that's kind of related to this and women candidates and women running. And that is the impact of abortion on this election. Polls, all I, all the headlines I've been seeing for the past couple of days say, nobody cares about abortion rights anymore. We're just mad about the economy. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Inflation is high. I never want to sound like on this podcast, we don't actually think people are having financial problems. We're having them. Nobody's got any money. My groceries cost a million dollars. But it's just interesting when you look at these polls because people are also telling pollsters that they feel like they have enough money, that they feel like they're able to travel, that they feel like they haven't cut back on the whole. You're talking, you know, people on Social Security are going to get a huge pay increase bigger than bigger than anyone else has promised this year. So I really don't want to talk too much about if voters, even though I have, are misunderstanding who is responsible for a potential recession. That is the DNC's job. What I do want to talk about is why there is a sense that abortion isn't an economic issue. Women still aren't necessarily fully back to work at post-pandemic levels because the child care industry is just fucked up, under-resourced. We famously have no paid leave. Kids are super expensive, not only for families, but for states. So just an abundance of new kids who need services is going to be very expensive. And there are just meaningful losses to GDP when women can't return to the workforce. I mean, Emily, I am thinking of the tote that you had with you at the White House, which said, my kids killed my career. (laughs) (laughs) But Emily, tell me, is is, is child rearing and the decision to do so an economic issue? 100% an economic issue. I mean, I think the problem is that pollsters are asking it as if it's not an economic issue. That's the, the problem. Issue. Right. Right. Like they're asking it like, do, I mean, generally the American public supports some limitation on abortions, not as restrictive as what has come after the Dobbs decision, which is of course right. like, you know, states are just outlawing it like crazy. 
Um, but so when you've gone back, gone back and forth over the years, it really depends on how you phrase the question and who you ask and what questions you ask beforehand when polling around abortion. Um, because people basically want, they don't want, like, and I'm speaking very, very generally here, but this is like looking at polling over years that people basically just don't want like abortion free for all, which by the way, I do want abortion free for all as a personal perspective. But from a polling perspective, like it really depends on if you phrased it as like, do you want all abortions to be legal or like some limitations? Like, so people do tend to come towards the middle. They are now internalizing what it means for the fact that abortion care is the same as reproductive care is the same as pregnancy care is the same as healthcare. And the fact that those options are now not open to women and potentially to men if they're in a they are in it with them. Um, and that they will then be faced with all of these, like, we're still pretty new. We're still only a couple months into what has happened. So I don't think pollsters are asking the right question. Like the, the visceral response that women are having, no matter where they fall in the political spectrum to realize that all options are no longer open to me and it might kill me is visceral. I mean, I was speaking to a woman over the summer who is, lives in Texas, I presume Republican. Um, she has one little kid thinking about having a second. And she told me that she wants, that she's telling her husband that he has to figure out remote work because she has to move to a different state. Mm-hmm. Be- and that is, you know, that is one woman I was speaking to. It is across the board. Like it is viscerally terrifying. And I don't think that pollsters know how to quantify that. I also think there needs to be a connection made between every single race that is happening and that visceral feeling that mm-hmm. women are having. Like we need to know. So I live in a swing congressional district. I live in the first district of New York. This, our race is tied. It is 50-50. Um, it, is a former Repu- it is a Republican seat right now that could be flipped. Um, I've been walking around to like our PTA, to all the moms at drop off, like just asking like, hey, are you registered? Have you thought about it? Because, you know, we, we had a big influx of people during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, have you thought about it? Do you realize that control of Congress could be this seat? Like this literally could be it. The lack of information, they're clearly not listening to this show, let me just say. <laughs> but people don't realize- People are busy, that, yeah. But they don't realize the balance of power and how yeah. close it is. And the fact that you know they think like, oh, Biden's not going to sign an abortion ban. Well, it's been introduced in the Senate. If the House Republicans take over, they will pass it immediately. If Biden doesn't sign it while well, he's the president, look, I worked on legislation that was passed in Congress under the Bush administration- And it was signed in the first term under the Obama administration. Because once something is passed, nobody votes no once they voted yes for it. Like you can turn a no vote into a yes vote. You can be convinced on an issue. Once something, once someone votes yes, they don't go back on it. Mm -hmm. So like we're actually quite close to having a national abortion ban, closer than I think a lot of people realize. You're so right. I mean, I was reading over the weekend that there are some some races in New England and Maine and Rhode Island and now some things that are tightening in Michigan because these people, the, those voters have, they just have faith that that they're not going to lose their access in their, in their state. But like if there's a national abortion ban, I mean, if Carrie Lake says she doesn't have to impose federal gun laws, maybe they don't have to impose federal abortion laws. But you're right. Like that is on the table. Like this is razor, razor, razor thin. So I think also communicating, I tend to find when talking to people, they like to hear that like you could decide the the fate of for all of us like the, your district in New York any one of them if they fall then we, we can't do it so it's like you have that power use it that's fun that's cool 
How Emily, how do you weigh the the vast increase in voter registration, especially among women, with what we're seeing in polling? Like, do you think that that like to me, if all these women are registering to vote, they're intending to vote, and whether the pollsters capture that, like to me, is sort of irrelevant because they're probably again unengaged, but they know I'm voting because of this. I don't want to have a miscarriage and and die potentially. So. Yeah. Basically, how do you weigh those two things? Yeah. I have much more faith in action than in polling. I don't have a ton of faith in polling. It's very hard to get a good (laughs) sample size of poll these days because the way that polling used to work is they would like grab a bunch of numbers from landlines and call through them. I mean, who are you reaching on a landline? I just installed a landline, but- You did? Good for you. Yeah. Just in case. Just in case, but I'm not going to- We don't have a phone with it. It's just- in theory, you could have a pollster can't reach you currently. Yeah. No. But either way, I wouldn't pick the phone up anyway. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, they do some online, but you have to opt in. They have some cell phone lists. Like it's just not great. Like it's just not a great metric of 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 testing the where the water. Like we want polling to be better than it is because it's so clean and understandable. But the reality is that I would much rather, I'm much rather interested in seeing new registrants because if someone is newly registered then they're they're somewhat engaged and those are the people that I want to turn to like that I'm much more interested in seeing than polling numbers totally. also this I mean I also consider what Democrats are actually spending on and it is almost exclusively the messaging Emily's been saying like if, if any vote for a Republican is a vote for a national abortion ban so like I think a lot of it is just pundits trying to have something to talk about and to like Oh, is abortion? Is it really abortion? Yes, it's it's really abortion. They're famously expensive. People do not want to be, even if you feel safe in New York, like Elise says all the time, her in-laws live in Wisconsin. What if you're having a a deadly, a potentially life-threatening miscarriage when you're in a state? You know, it matters, it matters to all of us no matter where you live. That was a very interesting conversation. Again, raise the alarm about this Arizona race. So fascinating to to watch and talk about, and hopefully not too devastating of an outcome. Emily, what's next for you? Where can people find uh, where you're chewing over this stuff more? Um, on our Instagram, she pivots the podcast or on my Twitter at MT sus. Um, we just won an award. The Congrats. Award. Thank you. So we just threw that up on our Instagram. Um, we're working on season two and me personally, I am having this life. Like I am in the pivot. I'm mm-hmm. getting super involved in my local community. So I'm super involved in the congressional. I'm really involved in our local affordable housing initiative. Um, working on some small businesses here, like involved in our school. Like I'm going through it too. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm trying to figure out too, like trying to figure out what a lifetime, not wholly a lifetime I hope, but you know, like what a career of, you know, being a lawyer and being trained in federal policy means for my life at this point right now. So Mm -hmm. It is a journey for me as well. And the new season of She Pivots will drop in uh, spring 2023. So exciting. Can't wait to listen. And obviously, there are already episodes to listen to. That is our show. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is The Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.